0: Good morning on this Friday, the 25th of February, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot in the world uh, going on today to which we want to apply the mind of Christ that we as Christians might be, well, more fully equipped to enter into the conversations of the day. If you are like me, you know people who have family and friends and ministry partners and missionaries they love in Ukraine. And if you're like me, then you haven't slept much because they haven't slept at all. Um, you've had conversations via email or, uh, or over some other internet communication about um, how they're sheltering in place or what they're going to do when the Russian military arrives at their door. That's how much things have changed in the last 24 hours, and we will spend um, a significant amount of time today in the second hour of the program talking about what is going on in Ukraine and praying for the people there as the national capital of Kyiv is now um, under direct assault. There's there's a... um, a war reporter based in Ukraine. His name's Nolan Peterson. He's a former U.S. Air Force Special Operations pilot, and he has um, been in Ukraine since 2014. And he posted at 3 a.m. U.S. Central Time, gunfire. I can hear gunfire in central Kiev. Um, It's very tense here. The Russians are in the city. So we will uh, turn our very sober attention to that in the second hour uh, today. Um, the president of the United States has, according to insiders, made his decision on his Supreme Court nominee to replace retiring Justice Breyer. That announcement uh, of the president's nominee may come as early as today. Three former Minneapolis police officers who participated in the arrest of George Floyd alongside Derek Chauvin those three officers have been convicted of violating um, George Floyd's civil rights. They still face a separate trial on state charges, but that is certainly um, leading the news locally if you live in the Twin Cities and nationally in terms of our ongoing conversations um, that we have here in the United States of America. Um, So you can tell there's a sobriety to my voice, um, even on this Wonderful Friday morning, praying for the 100 million people across the United States under storm warnings, watches, and dealing with the aftermath of a major storm system passing um, across this country. And just acknowledging that God is sovereign and God is good and God is great. And we are going to thank Him and we are going to practice being content in the midst of all circumstances. Um, We know the secret of being content and his name is Jesus and we live in him and in him we find not only the faith required to live for today but the bright hope that we have for tomorrow let's um let's bring on our friend Bruce Ashford we have been talking with him about his 10 words series 10 words for a broken society we've talked about the first 5 of the 10 commandments and today we're going to focus on uh, commandments 5 through 10 so you know, rattle off in your head those 10 commandments that we know um, from the scriptures, and then prepare to enter into a conversation about how those apply to the complexities of life today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge and this is Faith Radio. joining us now, Dr. Bruce Ashford. Uh, we have been talking with him about a series that he has been writing and posting, and we are going to uh, continue that conversation today. You can find what we're talking about and the entire 10 Words for a Broken Society series at bruceashford.net. Bruce, welcome back.
1: Hey, it's great to be on the show, Carmen. Thank you.
0: So could you recap for us, maybe let's do it this way, recap um, the the first five of the 10 words for a broken society, and then let's move into um, commandment number five about honoring those in authority.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we want to say about the 10, uh, ten commandments is that um, it is the Bible's recognition of 10 universal principles that are known to all people everywhere, whether they're Christian or not, Jewish or not. Um, now, sometimes the Ten Commandments miss a particular, uh, mix a particular with the universal, but these are universals that apply to everyone, everywhere. These are the things, when Romans chapter 2 talks about the law and the heart, it's talking about the principles embedded in the Ten Commandments. And the, the neat thing about the Ten Commandments is that we have what the, each commandment says explicitly, but we also have a whole range of implications for each commandment. We'll see a little bit later. That most of the commandments, uh, six through ten, five through ten, that we discussed today, actually relate to a news item today, which is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But uh, our very, very first commandment is um, to worship uh, that that, uh, that that there's only one God. Told there's only uh, one God, and we're to worship Him, and then we're uh, and no other false gods. Then we're told to worship Him in the right way, um, not to make images, not to make God in our own image, not to try to make Him. Uh, look like a 21st century American who agrees with all the, you know, um, immorality that we endorse in America, and, um, and we're told not to take the, the Lord's um, name in vain, um, not to use His name carelessly, and probably the the primary way that we do that is we wear the name of Christian and then we uh, flout His moral law or we um, uh, behave in a manner unbefitting a Christian. It's taking the Lord's name in vain, and then. We're told to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And uh, there's a universal principle embedded there that all people know, which is that we should uh, set aside a moment to worship God, uh, to set aside a time in our week to worship God and, and to rest our bodies. This is backed up by all kinds of medical uh, uh, studies, a need for a rest and a break from work. And uh, so those are the first four commandments, and they set up uh, set us up for the last six.
0: Yeah, I did my math inappropriately. I told people we'd already done five and we were going to do five more, but actually we're starting with five, which means we're going to do six commandments today, and that's just evidence that I'm not good at math this early in the day. So thank you for uh that, that correction. I will tell you, Bruce, that after our uh after the conversation that we had about the first four commandments, we had a great conversation in my family, um, about the way you helped help me and by extension, then in a conversation with my family, help the rest of us see the the commandment about um making graven Im- images, because like we don't, you know, sit around and carve little idols, but we do, and this was the language that you used, we do imagine God to be other than he has revealed himself to be. And that in that imagining, we are creating images of God that are not real, they're not righteous, they're not Accurate and correct. And in so doing, we have made in our own minds this like graven image. Anyway, it was a fantastic conversation. It helped us understand um, why so many people see themselves inaccurately as image bearers of God. And it's because they have an image of God that's not accurate. And it, it, so your conversation with me about that um, has borne really great fruit in conversations with my own family and the way I have. Um, thought about things in the culture, so I wanted to thank you for that. Let's talk about um, this next, this next one of the ten words. And again, we're looking at the ten words for a broken society series posted at bruceashford.net. Um, talk with us, Bruce, about Commandment number five. I mean, I know it as honoring your father and your mother, but you are expanding the context of that conversation.
1: Yeah, so we're told in Exodus 20:12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the Lord which the land is giving you. And uh, so it, w- when we talk about honoring our parents, the Hebrew word for honor is one that signifies weightiness and that we should uh, honor our parents because God has chosen for them to carry a certain weight in our lives. And there's uh, a number of different ways we should do that when we're younger we just should flat out obey our mother and father. There's obedience is a big uh, portion of it. But uh, number two, we should, honor, we should uh, show deference to our parents. And that's not just saying yes ma'am and no ma'am, but it is doing whatever we can to, to honor and care for our parents. And then finally, we should love them. We should have an unconditional love for our parents. But this, this commandment also implies a number of other things that we should show the same uh, or a similar deference to other forms of authority. Um, so just as God uh, placed us within a family, we're told in the book of Acts that we're placed within certain boundaries, we're placed in a nation, and we should honor our leaders. That doesn't mean we always agree with them, but we should show a certain type of deference, at least to their office. And so this is a very significant command, and I think it relates to um, the, the, the Russian-Ukrainian uh, hostility right now in that, uh, for example, the, the Ukrainian people are right in showing deference – uh, to the uh, governing authorities that God has put over them and defending their homeland.
0: I thought that um, in in reading your reflections on, uh, on commandment number five, on honoring your father and your mother, this conversation about submission to authority or the recognition of God's good authority and how gracious that is, um, we don't often hear that in the conversations of the day. This is a complicated commandment. Um, not everybody sees God as good, um, and certainly not everybody has, you know, good parents, uh, in, if we're going to define good as transcendentally good based on who God is. and um, And not everybody lives under or in the midst of a good government, and we're seeing that played out now on the world stage as well. We've got good and bad pastors, good and bad teachers, good and bad police officers, good and bad judges and kings, and on and on and on. And so this is a Um, this is a commandment that I think requires a lot of reflection and deep conversation. And so thank you for the way you're leading us into that particular conversation. We're talking with Dr. Bruce Ashford. We're talking about a series posted at bruceashford.net. The series is 10 words for a broken society. It's a conversation about the 10 commandments. Next up, commandment number six, no shedding of innocent blood. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. One of today's headlines, um, the ICC is already planning to investigate war crimes in relationship to the way that the Russian military has invaded Ukraine and killed innocent citizens, um, even on day one. So when we talk about the death of the innocents, when we talk about the shedding of innocent blood, we arrive at commandment number six. Dr. Bruce Ashford is here with us. We're talking about his series, Ten Words for a Broken Society, and we arrive now at commandment number six.
1: Bruce? Yeah, commandment number six, uh, we're told in Exodus 2013, you shall not kill unlawfully. It's often translated as murder, because murder is, uh, you know, perhaps the most prominent uh, way of killing unlawfully, but that there are other ways also. This important commandment is so vital and so significant because God created human beings in his image and likeness, and when we shed the innocent blood of a person creating God's image and likeness, God does not take it lightly. And there are a number of ways to do that. One is murder. Um, another is manslaughter. Uh, manslaughter, the difference between those two. It, murder is well, when one person kills another person premeditatively. And manslaughter is when they kill them intentionally, but not premeditatively, right? In the heat of the moment. But there are a number of other implications from this commandment. One is, is uh, not to shed... Uh, the innocent, the blood of the most innocent among us, which would be um, the unborn being within the womb. Mm -hmm. And I think that many of the significant uh, negative aspects of American life are a bit of a judgment, even though a merciful judgment to God hasn't fully judged us, but they're a judgment on the fact that we have uh, killed somewhere around uh, 70 million unborn beings in the womb here in the United States since 1973. And then uh, finally, I want to admit, there there, there are, are plenty of other implications here, but that uh, war crimes are, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, included among this. There's a very clear tradition, the just war tradition, which uh, many seculars, but also Jewish and Christian people hold to, that argue that you, you are not allowed to engage in a war unless you have, uh, there are six or seven principles or eight, depending on how you list it, but... In Putin's case, he's broken two. At least one is just cause. There has to be a right reason. Uh, uh, there has to be a specific injustice that has been committed. And in this case, there is no specific injustice in Ukraine that's widely admitted uh, by just war proponents. And then, second of all, there needs to be right intention. That uh, so, if the ju- if, if a just cause um, means that you're going in to correct a specific war level injustice. Right intention means that you're going to go do that for the right reason. In other words, we could find a just cause for military action and who knows how many places in the world, but we can't uh, do it because we wish to glorify our nation, because we wish to enlarge our boundaries, which is what Putin is doing, enlarging the boundaries of Russia. Um, and so this, this commandment, like all the others, has implications that reach uh, far beyond what we might typically initially imagine.
0: All right, Bruce, because I don't want to just, like, speed through um, these other uh, these other conversations, can um, yeah. I ask you now to come back and finish the list and do a summary? We're going to do the next one. We're going to do number seven, but I don't want us to try to, like, speed through the 10 today. Can we do that? So, can we? Yeah. Like, you mean a, like, uh, okay. through the, like, the come, uh, like, come on again in, in, in the coming week or so, and let's do... 8, 9, and 10, and then the summary conversation?
1: Right, sure, we can do okay. that.
0: Okay, so, um, so now then I can slow down because I want to talk about commandment number seven, ten, in, in your 10 words for a broken society series, yeah. no unsanctioned sex. So what we're talking here, Um, is we're talking about marriage and and everybody sort of knows this commandment as thou shalt not commit adultery. And so there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, I'm not married, so there's no way I could break that commandment. But that's actually not what this commandment is about.
1: Yeah. So we're actually, you know, the heart of this commandment, number seven, is not to engage in unsanctioned sex or unsanctioned uh, procreation. And this reaches beyond just violating uh, the marriage covenant by having sexual relations outside of the covenant, physical sexual relations with another person outside of the marriage covenant. It it also implies to uh, having sex before marriage. It implies to, we've got several trends in American society, one toward polyamory. That basically means open relationships, uh, that uh, you've got couples that and you have thruples where you have three of them who are sexually involved with each other and, and quadruples where you've got four. And that's still, um, you know, not something that's prominent in American life, but it's becoming more prominent. Um, I think this is a sanction against polygamy, against being married to uh, multiple different wives. Uh, but it also applies to other things, too. I think it also even applies to a, a woman using a, a sperm donor. Uh to have a baby because that comes from a man with whom she is not in a covenant relationship and so this commandment like all the others uh is a is a, a rich treasure chest of teaching about how to live rightly and how to live wrongly
2: uh-huh.
0: I think that um to positively frame this commandment we have to understand what marriage is and why God gave it and how God mm-hmm. intends marriage to be um the the primary functional building block of families and then societies yeah. and right and so I think that yeah. I like the way that you talk about this being about human flourishing like this is not a this isn't a commandment to keep us from having fun this isn't a commandment that's, you know, trying you know God trying to restrict your you know, sexual liberty. This is about God knowing what's actually best and our trusting God that his design for human flourishing, um, which includes sex only within the bounds of a covenant marriage, a one flesh union between one man and one woman, that that's actually the way God designed all of this to work. And he knows that's the way it works best, that it's for our best and it's for the good, not only of me as an individual and um, my my marriage with Jim and our family but culture itself like the world itself and the way god designed it to work
1: yeah that's right marriage is is the foundation for family that by far the best thing for children is to have a mother and a father who are committed to one another in, in spite of their differences and then family is the foundation for church and it's also the foundation for society in other words Um, The the most basic unit of a society in God's um, uh, view, I think, is the family. That's the sturdy foundation upon which societies and nations are built. And when you begin to see the breakdown of the family, you begin to see that a nation is no longer going to flourish. We've seen that in the United States, a widespread, pervasive breakdown of the family unit. Uh, It's a pandemic of its own and that's one of the reasons that our nation is not flourishing whether it's financially or psychologically or even medically at uh, all of the statistics and all the studies show that the best thing is to have a um a, a stable consistent loving family unit and that is that's the heart and the thrust of this commandment commandment number 7
0: there's no way um to deny that commandment number 7 is literally intimately related to commandment number five about honoring father and mother, um, or uh, commandment number six about the no shedding of innocent blood in relationship to the way children are conceived and the ones that people are choosing and not choosing to bring into the world. So um, let us be good students of the 10 words. I'm encouraging you to Uh, read the whole series at bruceashford.net. We've covered three of them today, and Bruce has graciously agreed to come back um, and cover Commandments 8 through 10 with us. So, um, Bruce, thank you in advance.
1: Thank you, Carmen. It's been great to be on the show.
0: It's always wonderful to have you. That's Bruce Ashford. You can find him at bruceashford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Social media is um, playing an outsized role in providing a literal window, a literal lens into the homes and subways, places where the Ukrainian people are sheltering right now. Um, It's on social media, uh, Twitter in this case, that I had occasion to... um, I think the word is pray with, but I also took some time to sing with a Ukrainian family who, you know, posted a short video. Um, They're sitting around their table. You can see what the room they're in looks like. And they're singing together. He will hold me fast. Um, The parents are the dad singing robustly. Um, some people are singing with their eyes closed and their heads bowed. There's a teenage boy um, who is, has his arms folded and he's tucked over in the corner, um, not singing. There's a baby in arms. And I am thinking to myself, that looks like my family. That looks like my family. Because that is my family these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you can hear missiles exploding outside, they are singing, he will hold me fast. This is the first time that we have watched a war unfold before our eyes via social media. We're going to reflect on that and some other social media trends with Chris Martin. You know him uh, as the content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He's also the author of Terms of Service. It's both a newsletter and now a book. And he's a social media expert. He's going to talk with us about the effects of social media in the world today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and that's up next. Chris Martin, author of Terms of Service. It's a book. It's also a newsletter. Um, He is a social media guy, and we love talking with him. So, Chris, welcome back.
2: Hey, thanks for having me back, Carmen. Good to be here.
0: So I'm um, I'm more obsessively following my Twitter feed than I normally do um, because that is where I feel like I'm getting the most up-to-date, whether or not accurate, but the most up-to-date and personal information about what's happening in Ukraine. So, like, just literally right now, like, I'm looking for a a tweet from, let's say, Eleanor Beardsley, who is a reporter for National Public Radio. She posted a picture yesterday of the Ukrainian countryside. I mean, that could be a picture of any field in America. And, you know, and she says there Um, The soil, uh, Ukrainian soil is black and rich. And believe me, I've seen a lot of it today fleeing the Russians. When we think about an NPR reporter whose name we know, um, fleeing the Russians, driving as fast as possible across, uh, you know, across Ukraine. Somehow social media becomes like real media. Can you can you just talk with us a little bit about what what we are experiencing in real time watching war unfold?
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting that you bring this up because I was just talking to somebody about this the other day when everything kind of started to unfold that you know, I've I was born in 1990 and I've seen um, the Gulf War was going on. I suppose when I was when I was born, I don't remember any of that, obviously. And and then uh, but I remember I remember the night we invaded Iraq in 2003, March, I think, of 2003. And um, but and so I remember, you know, what like a kind of large scale war vibe feels like in my own life, but obviously even in two thousand and three, social media was not I mean, my space was really just kind of becoming a thing. So nobody was sharing live feeds or or, or near live content from from Iraq and the in the Middle East in the beginning of the war on terror and, and our invasion of Iraq. So I think it's um it is kind of crazy. We are really in some unprecedented territory here of seeing a major superpower invade a sovereign nation live on social media. I look, I've been as somebody who sits here and I mean, I wrote a book on the ills of social media or or the concerns that we ought to have with social media and I wrote and and I've and I've spoken with you countless times on the subject and I've been glued to Twitter more than I have in years the last week. Um, mm-hmm. Following a handful of accounts that are reporting on this stuff because uh, a because it interests me and, and B because it's um It's just so like heartbreak. It, it feels like yeah, it feels like there's been hardly a more important use case for social media in the last decade than maybe what we're seeing right now just in terms of like you, you really have if you if you just catch 30 seconds of a video clip on the evening news that that does not communicate the sort of gravity seriousness and heartbreaking nature of the situation as much as like last night when when they were shelling Kyiv i mean i, I could see, i was i saw like five different angles of them shelling Kyiv and it's like wow this is real it's not it's not just something that's reported on the evening news like i'm getting it alongside sports scores it's just like you don't yeah I, we have no category for a social media broadcasted major global conflict and i think in some ways that's very it's very good that we're able to have this because we're able maybe to see a less mediated more real look at what this is like and maybe gives people a bit more of a sobering understanding of what what is happening at the same time we should guard our own hearts and and be careful of people who among us who may be kind of getting obsessive about this stuff uh, that we don't be led to this sort of cycle and, and spiral of despair by what we're seeing. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a give and take, and, and I think it's uh, it's really remarkable, Carmen. We've never had something like this in our history.
0: I was also made uh, reminded yesterday, you've always made me aware of it, but I was reminded yesterday that not everybody posting everything on social media is doing so honestly or for the right reasons. And so there's already... Yeah. Like a TikTok scam, people posting pictures and trying to raise money off of those pictures, and those pictures are actually not of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and,
2: and so, yeah. So, this people have to be that, careful. That's a really good point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there, there's been a lot of good, uh, some of the folks I follow, like social media writers and thinkers that I follow, have been writing a lot. Yeah. About, about already some content on TikTok or otherwise that is, um, you know from past conflicts or and not even people necessarily like some of it is people like trying to scam people out of money some of it's just people trying to farm attention like mm-hmm. oh i have you know i found this clip from this conflict maybe it's from the ukrainian conflict back in 2014 and they're just like resharing it now just to perpetuate misinformation and maybe get a lot of likes and follows and clicks and such um and and we should be aware that there's no There's no one better at global misinformation than the Russian government. Um, They're evil. They led many of us astray in 2016. It's well documented that they did so. And there's no one better at global misinformation than the Russian government. And be ready to see plenty of Twitter accounts with very few followers or, or Facebook memes and videos that go viral that are from less than trustworthy spaces. And perhaps they get tens of millions of views or pieces of or, or actions of engagement before anybody recognizes, oh wait, none of that was actually real. Um, and so we should we should more than ever, I mean we should always be doing this, but more than ever, right now, we should be double checking and testing and and verifying every piece of content and information we receive regarding what's happening. Over in Ukraine and and in the Eastern European continent in general, because um, we may see something that looks sensational and not realize, you know, we're so caught up in this constant stream, as we were just describing, that we don't take the time to realize or research, hey, uh, actually, that that wasn't real. It was posted by. A bot that's clearly affiliated with the Russian government. We we just don't know. We a lot of us simply don't know how to find that out. We don't know how to realize those things. We just consume so quickly that we can't fact check. So we should be as vigilant as we have ever been about not being led astray by maybe some fake content regarding the conflict.
0: I think wisdom is um, wisdom and discernment, and taking a pause, like long enough to at least take a breath before you. Repost something. Ask those questions: Is this true? Do I know that this is coming from a trustworthy source? Source? Did somebody bother to verify it? Does it come from a um, a verified account? Like you know, some of this is just look for the blue check mark on Twitter. Like right there's some some of this is not as hard as maybe we imagine it to be, and we don't have to. You can like a bunch of stuff, and and but don't necessarily like repost it, retweet it, or um or pass it along as if you know for certain that it's uh, you know true truth like so cuz i want to be a reliable purveyor of information i want people to be able to trust my feed and in order for that to be true i have to know that what i'm passing along has come from um a verifiable like like somebody who's done their homework so it's either the originator of the content um or it's somebody who has done the due diligence to make sure that the content is accurate um so uh, I think that all of that's really helpful, Chris. We're talking with Chris Martin. He's the author of the Terms of Service newsletter. He's also the author of a book by the same title, Terms of Service. He helps us understand social media, how it works, what it means, um, how to most appropriately engage in it as Christians in the marketplace of ideas today. Uh, Chris, you and I had teed up a couple of things to uh, to talk about, but I don't want to cut this conversation short If there's if there's another point yet you want to make. Um, it did occur to me that when we talk about cyber attacks and cyber warfare, um, you might be a good person to tell me how that might potentially affect me.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's funny. I know my da- I'm sure my dad's listening and my dad works in cyber security helping helping uh helping companies helping companies uh, in the US defend against this sort of thing. So if we could if we could pipe him in for this 2 minute conversation he'd be the perfect person to talk about. But yeah, c- cyber warfare and cybersecurity is something we should all be concerned about and it's kind of like uh, you know I, I I my dad may may chastise me for this but I'm pretty sure that he uh, a lot of his advice to companies is not um, it is sometimes preventative. It's, it's sometimes, hey, here's how you prevent an attack from happening. But as often as anything else, it's more it's more commonly, hey, you're, you're probably going to experience a cyber attack in and in a breach of security of some kind. So let's spend a lot more time figuring out how you're going to respond to that than how you can really prevent that from happening. And so I think for all of us, we should just be really careful. We should recognize that a cyber attack or data breach on the internet of some kind will affect us in some way. Um, and it pro- fr- frankly, it probably already has, whether that's something as simple as like our credit card information from a website being leaked or perhaps some more sensitive information like a social security number or something like that. We should all have contingency plans in place and and, and not post not post or share or store. Any information about ourselves on the internet that we are not willing to have leaked out, um and so I think it's a matter of not you know yeah making your password secure is really important, like not using password one, two three or or like you know just one two, three four, five, six, seven that that's all well and good and and we should you know make secure passwords as annoying as that can be, and that sort of thing, but beyond that, like we we need to understand that even the website that we make a secure password on. That website can be hacked, and, and our data can be leaked, no matter how good our password was, so we should be willing and, and ready to deal with whatever comes should massive cyber attacks, whether from this conflict or or just rogue hackers who want to cause chaos sometime in the future. Um, we should be careful of whatever we 're posting, whatever're whatever we 're whatever we're posting and sharing online, um, we should just be ready to defend but more likely we should be able to respond and, and be ready to uh, have other data that's not posted online and not shared online ready to, um, ready to go in case our stuff that's online gets gets compromised.
0: Yeah, that's so helpful. I, one of the questions that I have just started asking myself every single time is um, the convenience, whatever it is, the convenience that I am, uh, that I'm gaining by whatever information I'm now typing onto the screen, onto this website, into this browser, whatever, is this convenience worth the security I'm giving up? And so I'm trying to have this conversation in my mind, balancing or weighing those two values, convenience and security.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My dad, in fact, my dad just texted me. He is listening. He said, he said the three, three pronged approach here, protect, detect and respond. Those are the three keywords he uses: protecting. Obviously, you want to protect yourself in every way that you can. You want to have a way to detect if your information has been compromised uh, as as best as you can, you know. Uh, and then and then respond appropriately. Uh, you know, if you get a if you get a, an email that says, "Hey, somebody's trying to change your password," you need to hop on and. You change your password before somebody tries to get into your account, and you need to be able to respond appropriately. So handling all of these things takes an amount of wisdom, and frankly, it takes more work than a lot of us are willing to put in. Um, but if we're going to live in an online society, like you said, the convenience factor is so appealing that we need to realize what we may be giving up if we, if we take up this offer of convenience.
0: Okay, so not only are we talking to Chris Martin, we are talking to the senior Mr. Martin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So we um, we are going to come back to this information, and Chris is going to talk with us about the information superhighway. It's actually a dead end. When's the last time you went down a dead end road? Um, it could have been more recently than you think. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Where? Chris Martin joins us uh, just about every other Friday. Um, We talk with him about social media, social media trends, and what we're all experiencing online. I am looking at a post in his Terms of Service newsletter um, on the information superhighway being a dead end. Chris, what's going on here?
2: Yeah, so um, I read this great article. Gosh, I think it was around the new year, and I just got around to writing about it. That's what releasing a book and Finishing another one will do to you, but I read this article. It was actually written in November in the Atlantic, called "The Singularity Is Here," and it was written about specifically how artificial and in, artificially intelligent advertising technology is poisoning our societies. Which that's already speaking to my heart. But the writer talks about just how our use of the internet and and specifically like the advertising technology on the internet is is poisoning our ability to know the difference between information consumption and like actual wisdom and and uh knowledge. And so he he writes uh this is a really profound quote that the author his name is his name is Ayed wrote in this article. He said, For while the way to wisdom leads through knowledge, there is no path to wisdom from information. Especially when that information is being used as a training treat in what has come to feel like a wholesale attempt at permanent re-education, and so I think a lot of us, you know, we come across information on social media or we Google, hey, where have I, where else have I seen this actor in this movie? Which I do all the time. Um, you know, my, my my wife sometimes gets annoyed when we watch movies. Uh, if it's a movie I've seen or if it's a movie I'm semi-familiar with and I'm not super compelled by, I'll just pull up the IMDb article for it and just start like. Rattling off occasionally pausing the movie rattling off trivia from the movie, which I'm sure is very annoying But it's interesting to me. So I do this kind of stuff all the time. Like I look for information on the internet. I I Research random geographical facts or movie facts or whatever else And it's really tempting to to have this idea that We're gaining knowledge when we do when we engage with the internet in this way that like somehow we're becoming smarter in fact, I mentioned in the article our daughter, our, two, our nearly two-year-old daughter, is super obsessed with Elmo right now, which is, frankly, I'm cool with. That's, I like Elmo; Elmo's pretty great, uh, mm-hmm. and we found a lot of Elmo comp- compilations on YouTube. and the, And the pro, like, the stuff is really good. In fact, I've we've even seen it expand her vocabulary a little bit, and, and she's really in, seems to be enjoying it and, and learning from it and developing with it. But. But the one part of the show I always get annoyed at is when he summons his smartphone named Smarty, which this definitely wasn't an aspect of the Elmo I remember from when I was watching Sesame Street. Um, But he summons his smartphone named Smarty, and and she says that the way we – learn things. Uh, how do we learn something new? We look it up, they say in unison. And I just mm. don't think we learn new things by looking them up. Uh, that's that's my one beef with Elmo and, and his show and his smartphone. But I think, I think it's important for us to realize that the architectures of the busiest hubs of online life are designed to make us reliant on them, not free us from them. And exposure to wisdom, as opposed to simply knowledge, would expose this reality. It's like Plato's allegory of the cave on a global scale, which I don't need to explain all of that if you don't know what it is, but it's, it's like we we have this facsimile of a reality, this, this like, we, we have this ability to access information, but we should just be really careful in realizing that this sort of information superhighway as the internet used to be called, may lead us to be able to reference and access information, but we should hesitate to think that it leads us to true knowledge and, and lasting wisdom. And so I think that's an important distinction. And as we as our relationship with the internet ever deepens and, and as it gets in, more intertwined with our lives, we should just be more careful to, to understand the difference between accessing information and really developing knowledge and wisdom.
0: So two things. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with and our audience is certainly familiar with Brett McCracken's wisdom pyramid about feeding our soul in a post-truth world like that came to mind in this conversation. And then I thought you would appreciate I brought this up with um, two teenagers at dinner last night and bright little Eliana said, oh, oh, this is like the tomato conversation. And I said, what is the tomato conversation? And she said, well, it's one thing to have the information that tomato is a fruit, it's another thing to know that ketchup is not a smoothie. Yes.
2: This is exactly the, difference right. the difference between information and wisdom. Yep. Mhm. 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 Yep. Yep. Exactly.
0: Yep, there right. you go. There you go. Tomato also not really good in that fruit salad cocktail. Not so good. Not not a good not yeah, a good fruit not, in there. Yeah, probably not. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, but you could test that out with um with your tiny little person because she doesn't know that yet. So you <laughs> you could see if she True. thinks cherry, she cherry a tomatoes. She is of ketchup. <laughs> of course she is. Oh, And all the things you can dip in it. All right. So that conversation might have to be for another day. Chris, I love talking with you. Thank you so much. Um, blessings on you. I know you're having lots of conversations about the book right now. Um, so thank you for joining us as always. That's Chris Martin. You can find his Terms of Service newsletter on Substack. You can find Chris on Twitter and, well, all the socials. And you can find his book, Terms of Service. Well, pretty much everywhere books are sold. Chris, as always, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. And bye, Dad. We'll be right back. Uh, Those of you asking all kinds of questions on the text line about protecting ourselves in an era of cyber warfare, um, thank you. You can text me anything during the program, 877-933-2484. Quickly to Susan asking questions about, um, you know, having a subscription to a service um, like McAfee or Norton or some other service, um, you know, online. Yeah, those are all good. They fall into the protect Category like you do as much as you can to protect yourself, um, but they're not sufficient. Good, but not sufficient. Um, Jim is sharing a story here about uh, receiving a letter from his CPA uh, saying that their tax returns and all the information in their tax returns had been compromised and shared. Um, that And then the uh, insurance company for the CPA says, well, you know, the company negotiated with the hackers and paid them, but the information is still out there. There's no way to get it back. And um, and we're not really responsible for it because it was a malware attack. So you can do all your due diligence to protect yourself absolutely as well as you can, um, but you're still going to have to be prepared to respond when you get hacked. Like this is a when, uh, not an if. And that detection component is the middle one. So how are you protecting yourself? How are you going to detect if your information has been compromised? And then what are you going to do to respond? Good, um, good cybersecurity uh, information for us today as we anticipate a cyber attack upon us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen Laburge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.